I don't know how you think about the song we just sing, sang. Um, <clears throat> you know, we were giving God praise and thanking Him for the word that we've already heard. And we gave Him praise for the words that we're about to hear. That being said, um, you know, as your pastor, I can tell you this week, as I work on a sermon about marriage and where the Lord has blessed me with a very good wife and blessed us with a good marriage, um, I am still convicted much of my need to grow in the Lord, conform to Him, so that I may love her as I ought, that I may demonstrate the gospel as I ought. Um, and I say all that to just humbly come before you this morning and say, let us hear God's word and be encouraged uh, by it. Um, let us pray here this morning. O oh Lord, our God, bless us in your service and make us strong in our family life, especially with the gift of covenant marriage, that we might serve you acceptably, that we might do your will here upon the earth, and that we might be more than conquerors through Christ our Lord. Grant us by your Spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O God, for the sake of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So we have two passages here today that I want us to consider in light of marriage. Let us first hear God's word from Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or do, deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be bitter towards them. Our second passage today is from Psalm 32, verses 1 through 4. A psalm of David, a contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom Yahweh does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old, through my groaning all the day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. Yesterday I attended the wedding of Zach Reardon and Sarah Soltis. It was a lovely wedding feast. All those present were looking upon Zach and Sarah with great optimism. I'm sure Zach and Sarah woke up this morning upbeat 
and looking forward to their life together. This morning, their hearts are soaring. They're flying high. It is likely that right now, they would have difficulty imagining the real challenges before them. Some in this room here today responded to my last statement. I'll read it again. It's, it is likely that right now that they would have difficulty imagining the real challenges before them. So I say to you again, some here today might respond with, you got that right. Or perhaps for those who are embittered in their marriage, you're right. They're just blissfully ignorant. And almost with the glee in your heart, you're thinking, don't worry, that truck of reality is right around the corner. Why do we think this way? Maybe we could describe the state of marriage in our world as a wreck. Maybe even a plane crash with wreckage spread all over the place and people drowning in the river of misery and hopelessness. When I was 11, in January of 1982, I remember the plane crash of Florida Flight 90, which crashed into the Potomac River right after takeoff from National Airport. The plane's wings, one of the two primary necessities for flight, that being lift from the wings and thrust, right, were weighted down by ice. The plane after liftoff couldn't gain enough altitude and hit the 14th Street Bridge covered in rush hour traffic. Four people on the bridge died that wintry afternoon, and all but five people who were on board the flight perished as well. You can find videos of the dramatic rescue of the five survivors on YouTube. A helicopter from the Park Service not designed for rescue threw ropes out to the struggling survivors. For me, the hardest part was watching one of the women in the water struggle to grab hold of the rope. She would get it for a moment, but due to her long exposure to the freezing water temperatures, she couldn't keep her grip on the rope. The Potomac was covered with a layer of ice, so the emergency services inflatable boats couldn't reach the woman. This woman was suffering from hyperthermia and blindness because of it. It was agonizing watching her flail around in what seemed insurmountable futility. You thought she was going to die. When suddenly from the shore, among the crowd of rescue workers, and bystanders, a man takes his coat off and jumps into the freezing waters to rescue her and brings her to shore. We live in an age where marriage is vilified and is redefined. Feminism hates marriage, and the homosexual community wants marriage. It is absolutely schizophrenic. Many young people put off marriage thinking that it is for later in life, believing that they should go and achieve their goals before they're burdened with a spouse and children. Even worse, many parents and older Christians encourage this behavior as if there was an additional book of the Bible called First Hesitations. <laughs> we have weighted down the wings of marriage with the burden that marriage is simply about an individual's quest of self-fulfillment. This self-seeking happiness only leads to a crash. 
that brings damage, destruction, and death out of what God has ordained and designed to be life to our spouses, children, and the world. Now, I know that I'm preaching here this morning on marriage, and so a bunch of you who say have been married a long time, there'll be some things applicable to you, but you younger people who aren't married, and maybe marriage isn't, doesn't appear to be right around the corner, you need to tune in. Because the things that we'll talk about have application in your life today. And they also give you wisdom towards your life in the future. First of all, we are made for marriage. In God's created order, He created us male and female, Genesis 1. God instructs us to the truth that He made Adam, the first man, with a need for a helper or a helpmeet. Genesis 2.18 says, And Yahweh God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. In our modern language, this sounds like a demeaning reason to be created, ladies. However, the Hebrew word here, azir, teaches us that it isn't just about help, but it's particularly assistance that relieves and delivers one from difficulty, want, or distress. You know, this very same word is used to describe how God himself brings deliverance to his people. Exodus 18, Deuteronomy 33, Psalm 20, Psalm 70, just to name a few. Why does God bring help to his people? To bring glory to his name through the salvation of his people. To complete his plan to bring redemption to all of creation. So too the woman is part of his specific deliverance. Beginning of course with the seed of the woman. And a generic deliverance to work as joint heirs under her husband's headship to God's glory in this world. God created mankind with a purpose. Genesis 1.28 says this, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Contrary to the beliefs of many people today, neither men nor women can accomplish this alone. <clears throat> we cannot accomplish this as groups of men, and nor can we accomplish this in groups of women. Even though medical science has figured out how to inseminate a woman and bring forth a child, all the statistics abundantly prove that God's plan for children is to be, to, in order for them to be successful, they must have a father, a man, and must have a mother, a woman. Now we of course know many examples even in our own lives, of fathers and mothers who did not submit themselves to God's word and have brought sin, misery, and abuse to their families. But to say, I'm not going to get married, is like saying something like this. Some things I ingest are poisonous, so I won't eat anything. To be sure, who we marry matters. God says we must not marry an unbeliever, 2 Corinthians 6. But no matter who we are married to, God has called us to a way to live in His covenant marriage. 
God has called us to marry, bear children, and take dominion by organizing what he has given us charge over in a way that reflects heaven. When we look to live a life in any other fashion, we will suffer unnecessary challenges and will be left unsatisfied, unfulfilled, and always lacking. It is very much like buying some device and you go and you read the instructions that using the device in a way other than what it was designed for will not bring the desired results and is also dangerous. So is marriage. God created us for a purpose. This purpose cannot be accomplished outside the directives of Scripture. The truth is, in the broader church, and even right here in our own church, we have seen divorce and broken marriages. Some marriages are still running, but our jalopies running with bad spark plugs, burning oil, and the brake pads are so worn out that they are making ter a terrible screeching noise every time they're applied. Thinking back to what we're called to, what kind of multiplying are we doing in our marriage? Are we successfully fertilizing weeds and thorns? Or are we cultivating a vine that produces much fruit? Are we refining the process together in our marriages so that the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea? Marriage is a covenant with attending blessings and curses. You know, wedding cards, they always speak about the blessings of marriage or the fact that we're happy someone is getting married. But, as is our way as human beings, we don't like to speak about the curses, but just the blessings. But, if we're disobedient to God, the curses that come to us, our spouses and to all the others around us, brings death and destruction. God describes marriage as a covenant in many places, including Ezekiel 16. A covenant is a solemn bond agreed upon with responsibilities of each party with both blessings and curses. Marriage symbolizes the covenantal union between ourselves and our Creator. A covenant is not a legal contract, but rather the way that God relates to his creation. You see, we get all messed up when we start thinking about marriage relative to a legal contract. Instead of saying, no, God relates to his people, and therefore we relate to him through the covenant and the promises that he brings to us. Now, in God's covenant... He provides everything. He provides His blessing if we abide by His directives. And if we disobey, He brings curses to us and our families. And to the people all around us and even to further generations. And of course we see this in Adam and praise God that we see our deliverance from the curses brought on by Adam's sin in Jesus Christ. In our own tendencies, we rejoice in the blessings. That's what we're attracted to. We want all the good stuff. And we often ignore the curses. 
The wedding is the only begin is excuse me, a wedding is only the beginning of death. A man and woman who go through the ceremony and then live as they have always lived have not really understood what their marriages require. Death at a wedding is a call to a continual dying. At their wedding, a man and a woman die to singleness. I think we all get that. We also die to the relate, our old relationships with our parents, to old habits, to old plans. And that death has to be worked out throughout the course of the marriage. After only being married a short time, most married couples discover actually how self-centered they really are and that they are called to die to that self-centeredness. When we confess and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of our sins, we're blessed. Our passage today in Psalm 32 tells us this, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom Yahweh does not impute iniquity. And remember, every time we hear Yahweh's name, or if your Bible says Jehovah, or it's a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's God's covenant name when you read that. So when he's talking about these things, everything he's saying, I'm your covenant God. And when you confess your sin, right, it's covered. And you're blessed because he doesn't impute our iniquity to us. Now notice what happens to us when we do not confess our sin. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And then there's a poetical pause. By His grace, God intends to bless you. I don't want you to lose sight of that. Proverbs 18.22 tells us this, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from Yahweh. There He is, our covenant God. And Proverbs 12.4 tells us this, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who causes shame is like rottenness to his bones. The rottenness is dead flesh. When we are unrepentant, God brings groaning and heaviness night and day, and our vitality is dried up like there's no rain. A marriage without repentance and forgiveness builds up piles of rotting, stinking garbage, which chokes out any chances that that marriage will flourish and be fruitful. As Christians, we really must be taking out the garbage. In marriage, confession of sin and forgiveness is like taking out the trash and doing the dishes. Every house that is lived in gets dirty. When you eat, you dirty pots, pans, dishes, the table, the floor, the appliances, and in the case of people like myself, my clothes. What is the difference between a clean house and a dirty one? A clean house has standards with a regular plan and execution to maintain the cleanliness. That's important. 
that, that's, that application in your married life is real important. Now what happens when people come over to our house, we stack things and we hide things. And we put as much trash as we can into the can. And we stuff it down. Now, when the can gets full, we should take it out and never see it again. If, however, we just stack it up and then we put our boots on to crush it in and crush it down, it'll simply stink and it will spill over. We know that Scripture teaches us that we must deal with our sin in an ongoing fashion, even daily. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. You know, there's an or what to that verse. Or we give a foothold to the devil. Are you giving a foothold to the devil in your marriage? What is God's standard for your marriage? If we look just a few verses above the Colossians 3 passage about husbands and wives, it tells us this. We read it earlier. Therefore, as the elect of God, that's you, husband, that's you, wife, holy and beloved. So he calls us his elected and his beloved. So these messages to us are for our benefit. He's teaching us because he loves us. He says this, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Well, if we're honest, we're in trouble now. This week, have you been tenderly merciful? What about kind? Did you show humility remembering remembering your indebtedness to Christ? Were you meek? That is, did you take your great strength and restrain it? Were you long-suffering with your husband or long-suffering with your wife? Did you bear the burdens of your spouse? If you had a complaint against your wife or your husband, did you forgive We are reminded that we must forgive because Christ forgave us. When we sin against our spouse, we must quickly repent, confess our sins to God and to each other. This is to be the practice in your marriage. When we are seeking what benefits only ourselves and our own pleasures, our sin causes us to hate our husbands and for us to hate our wives. We do not want to sacrifice for our spouse and our sinful nature. But we are not to grieve God in this way. Confess your sin specifically, and to those who hear the confession, forgive, as God forgives. When we hold on to offenses against us, it is as the saying goes, There is no sin so great, but you can't make it worse. We make it worse when we hold on to the offenses when our spouse sins against us. Do not hold on, but forgive one another. Now this is important. Are you listening? 
Be honest as to your motives when you repent. Many of you have been part of our many studies going through the bitterness book. And there's a story in there where Jim Wilson says that he lost his temper at his wife and he knew that he needed to confess. And so he went and he prayed. And he thought about, he, when he was done praying, he got up and he came back to his wife. He was getting ready to say something. He was going through his head about what he was going to say and he realized that he was still blaming her for his anger. What did he do? He turned around, went back, and prayed some more. He does this three times before he comes out and can say, I am responsible because I lost my anger at you. We need to bestow graciously and to give pardon to our spouses. Our passage in Colossians 3 goes on and says, But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. That is maturity. So we're going to grow in these things. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In your relationship with your husband or your wife, have you been doing all things to and for them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Men, have you been giving thanks for your wife this week? Wives, have you been giving thanks for your husband this week? We are to do what this passage commands because we are to be discipling one another. Men, your wives are your sisters in Christ. You are to be discipling them so that they may be conformed to Christ. Wives, you are to disciple your husband so that they too are conformed to Christ. To be conformed to Christ is to live a self-sacrificial life so that others may be reconciled to God even at the expense of our very lives. We need to realize that God, as one commentator puts, us, puts it, is sanctifying you through your marriage, especially the hardships. God is showing you your sin by your spouse's own failures. Your spouse does not cause you to sin. Rather, your spouse exposes the sin that was already latent or existing in your heart. You have to see each failing on the part of your spouse as an opportunity to forgive, to practice long-suffering, patience, and to love sacrificially. You must view your marriage as a school of sanctification in which God is shaving off the rough edges of your personality, soothing out the wrinkles of your character, and washing away spots in the way that you relate to others. Here's a few admonitions. Admonitions for wives. 
As we've already heard this morning, a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. We also heard that if you are a wife, you are a good thing, and that your husband has obtained God's favor through you. You are God's favor. Fa excuse me. You are God's favor. That is His grace in your husband's life. First Peter three one says, "Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they will, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct, accompanied by fear." And that is fear of God, not fear of your husband. If God says an unbelieving husband may be one, how much more will a husband be encouraged to be like Christ if he is already a Christian striving to follow God's word? Are you building up your husband for his calling in Christ? Are your words, attitudes, and actions undermining him? Do you respect him by showing him esteem and cheering him on? Or... Do you slander him with gossip? Titus 2.3 says, The older women likewise should be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. And for those of you that are on the younger side in your marriages, and they should be doing all this, they should admonish the young women to love their husbands, love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Wives, you are about the business of loving your, excuse me, are you about the business of loving your husband and obeying him? You are to do all these things for God's glory so that you and your covenant baptism, remember you carry God's name, will not be blasphemed. Some admonitions for husbands. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says this, But I do not want you, excuse me, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. This verse and others clearly teach that no husband is a king unto himself. He is under Christ's authority. And Christ, and, and I want us to understand this very clearly, Christ did not grasp the power as his own right. And he didn't hold on to the position. Philippians 2.5 says this, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Men, by God's providential design, you have been placed under your elders. Your authority is not absolute, but flows from God to Christ, to you as the covenant head of your family. Your elders are charged to lead you in worship, proclaim the gospel, and when any person, including a husband, falls into unrepentant sin, including in his marriage, are to restore that person to God. And if necessary, if they remain unrepentant, to bring them under discipline and judgment. 
On a very basic level, husbands, Exodus 21 teaches us that you're required to provide for your wife food, clothing, and her marriage rights. Man, you already know that you're to provide for your family for their physical needs. And if you do not, the scriptures say that you are worse than an infidel or an unbeliever. But I also want to point out to deny your wife the marriage right of procreation is clearly understood in these marriage rights. And you are obligated to give them to your wife. Husbands, have you loved your wife this week as Christ loved the church, dying for her benefit? Self-serving doesn't come naturally. Self-indulgence comes much easier. To tell the truth, as men, forcing others to sacrifice for you is easier than laying down your life. This is an anti-Christian and is simply a pagan Darwinian view. Forcing others by your strength is a survival of the fittest worldview. And the ancient pagans understood the outcome of this. It simply leads sons to rebel, kill their father, eat them, and then take their wives. Just read the Roman and Greek mythologies. You know, this is a horrifying thought. But we need to realize that we are either with Christ or we are not. Ephesians 5.28 tells us this, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Husbands, do not exploit your wife's weaknesses. Now your reaction might be to that, hey, that's what women do when they manipulate us. But the truth is, we are given to exploiting our wives for our own pleasures. And this is really dangerous. If we do not have a good wife, a godly wife, we lay like Samson in the lap of Delilah who conspired against him to take his strength and to destroy him. To the unmarried, listen up. If a young lady isn't on the same Christian mission as you, don't get married. Ladies, if that young man is not on the same Christian mission as you, don't marry him. <clears throat> to the married, we must dwell with our wives in understanding. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, you need to seek wisdom from the Bible and from Christian men with godly marriages. And for the sake of your marriage, too many times... Husbands ask for advice, but then in the end decide that their own way is better. Your own plan outside of Scripture is as Proverbs 16, 25 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it is the way of death. Men, are you listening? Young men, are you listening? Everybody, are you listening? When you go and you seek advice and people speak God's word to you about your marriage or your life or what's happening in it, 
Don't decide your own way is better. Don't ignore it. It only leads to death. Husbands, have you given your wife honor this week? Have you lived with your wife in understanding? Your call to disciple your wife is that it should be done with the understanding, listen now, what did that passage say? That you are heirs together in the grace of life. Men, if you forget and live as you are simply a, then you are simply a tyrant. And guess what? All the prayers that you're taking to God will be hindered. Finally, I want us to understand this, that marriage is for death and resurrection. Marriage is for us to demonstrate the gospel to all those around us. Your marriage is the gospel. It is to be about Christ and his bride. A sacrificial relationship where sin is forgiven and the bride is made glorious without spot or wrinkle. Marriage is about dying because the Bible teaches that death is always prominent in covenants. When you got married, you came to the what? Wedding altar, a place of sacrifice. Unfortunately, today it has become more and more obvious that a marriage without the cross and the open tomb can hardly be called a marriage at all today. Persist in your covenant. God at your wedding made a covenant between you and your husband and your wife and before all the witnesses who were present. I want to pause for a second. I know we're almost here at the end. But listen up. Those people who were present at your wedding, why is that the way that God designed it? It is because they are the witnesses of the covenant that is being made before God. They are also the ones who are going to come to you and say, Brother, you need to shape it up here. Sister, you need to work on this. That's their call. Receive that from the witnesses. If not, listen, our marriage is to preach the gospel to all the world. And if it isn't a sermon that glorifies God, those around you will see and hear a blasphemous message about God and Christ, including our own children sometimes. And they will remain embittered and disillusioned about God and Christ Jesus. God's grace through Christ Jesus can, does, and will resurrect all marriages brought before Him in repentance. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, please be gracious to us to send your Spirit upon us that we may truly and faithfully love and obey your word, especially in our marriages. Grant that we may forgive each other as you have forgiven us because of the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By your grace, bestow upon us the fortitude to lay down our lives for our spouses that our marriages may preach and proclaim a true and faithful gospel to each other, our children, your church, and the unbelieving world. 
We ask all these things for the sake of your son, Jesus, who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen.